Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On today's review-only episode of the show, I'll be joined by WNHH intern Sam Hattleman to talk about two new summer releases that follow eager young men who are cocky, talented, good-natured, and naive, destined for great professional success if they can only survive the immense personal danger that comes with their work. Edgar Wright's Baby Driver and John Watts' Spider-Man Homecoming are two summer action movies replete with car chases, explosions, supervillains, and extended fight sequences. One follows a youthful Atlanta getaway driver immersed in pop music, the other a frenetic Queens high school student eager to impress his superhero role models. Sam and I will offer our takes on these two critical and popular hits and talk a bit about how they fit with fit within and distinguish themselves from more familiar fare in summer action movie genre. So without further ado, I'm very happy to welcome to the show Sam Hattleman. Sam is WNHH's summer intern, a, a regular guest or a co-host on Harry's show. How would you describe uh, your participation? I'd say, I'd say I, I take the reins on that one. <laughs> you know, Harry, Maybe the host of Harry's show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> co-host. Drive by headlines. And then you have your own show. Yes. The, the intern. The intern where I talk about albums for way too long. <laughs> Um, yeah, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, man. I've, I've been wanting to be on the show for a while. Uh, all right. So uh, I've got a bit of an intro. Let me set this up for us for uh, any listeners who may not be familiar with these movies. So on the face of it, Baby Driver and Spider-Man Homecoming are two very familiar examples of 21st century Hollywood summer fare. Baby Driver is a car chase, bank heist action movie about a young Atlanta getaway driver nicknamed Baby, played by Ansel Elgort, whose precocious abilities behind the wheel are exploited by seasoned criminals of the likes of John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, Kevin Spacey, addicted to drugs, money, power, and adrenaline. And Spider-Man Homecoming, the latest installment in the unending Marvel Cinematic Universe, sees the fresh-faced Tom Holland playing a chipper, working-class Peter Parker, who dons his Spidey suit, battles alien-powered supervillains, and struggles to balance his publicly acclaimed superhero persona with his relative anonymity as a Queens high school student. But if you look a little bit deeper, you'll see that Baby Driver and Spider-Man are also acutely self-aware of their pop culture lineage. Baby listens to pop music constantly to help drown out the hum of tinnitus in his ears, and Peter Parker is motivated as much by uh, his kind of starstruck delight at being so near superheroes as by any sense of kind of moral right or justice. Uh, and I feel like this self-understanding mixed with the youthful protagonist's giddy enthusiasm gives these movies a playfulness that you don't always see in like the hardest hitting of action blockbusters. So Sam, to kick off our conversation, my question for you is, I guess one, what did you think of Baby Driver and Spider-Man? And did you find any pop culture self-awareness lurking behind these car chases and explosions and super fights? Or is sometimes just a car chase, just a car chase, just uh, a car chase? Uh, all right. Started off, I'll start talking about Baby Driver. I thought it was like, like kind of like a, a 10 years younger drive. Like everyone in it, was like 10 years younger, but the same characters in the, the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling. This remember? is a 2011 movie by Nicholas Winning Refn that stars Ryan Gosling. Is Yes, it's, I feel like I'm, I'm interested in getting into where these movies differ, but yeah, at a superficial level, I feel like you've got anonymous getaway drivers who yeah. are relatively impassive. That takes place in LA. This is Atlanta. But what, what were the, like, when you say a, a younger drive, what do you mean? Uh, like, uh, what, well, <sighs> like, in Drive, the the main thing that I really liked about the movie was how ominous Ryan Gosling was. He just kind of knew what to do. And I think what's kind of interesting in this movie is that Baby Driver is really good at his job, but in everything else, he's kind of like, he doesn't really have things figured out. Like with this girl, like it seems like he's always kind of winging it. Like he doesn't like go in with any plan because he says like five words to her at first. 
And I think in Drive, it seems like he's more mature and things just kind of happen to him. Interesting. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, they both prize their like professional competency as like the most important uh, like value that they bring to any to anything, right? Like Ryan Gosling and Baby Driver, they know that no matter what, if you put them behind the wheel of the car, they're going to yeah. be able to perform their duties really well. But one of the things about Baby Driver that I found so unique and delightful, and I think this is true for Spider-Man too when we get over there, is that because it focuses on an actual, I mean, so many, so many of these action movies are directed towards young audiences, right? Like people, like the most popular demographic for going to movies like these are like the, what, 16 to 25, yeah. you know, young men. And to ha- to feature someone so conspicuously youthful as Ansel, Angort, El- As- yeah. Ansel Elgort, he's not like this, you know, Ryan Gosling, he's young, but he's also this kind of dour, self-reflective, uh, he's, there's something ominous about him, but also you kind of feel like his life is spinning out of control and yeah. cars are what like bring it back that, to that, a sense of purpose. That's what I Here, meant. Here yeah. you have him just like Ansel Elgort. He's just like, he's just bursting with this youthful life and energy. And yeah, maybe cars are like the one thing that he does really well. But I feel like he is so like the movie is so excited about life for him that it's just like he has, he has so much to look forward to Ryan Gosling's character not a lot to look forward to yeah i feel like it was way more somber like drive was way yeah. more depressing but i what I, I just really liked about baby driver was like i never thought about it until you said it uh earlier like a couple weeks ago is that it's kind of like a musical like it's like I, and talking about the car chases i'll get into that i think the car chases in baby driver are some of the best i've ever seen for a couple reasons one the fact that he's driving in stick that's so cool and you can like I, you can distinctively see him driving in stick which I think kind of adds to this whole old man character that we see in him kind of with the music he listens to, the man who takes care of him, his living conditions, the fact that he still uses old recording equipment to make, and he still makes tapes. And the idea that he does, he's precocious, right? Like he does yeah. things what people his age are not supposed to be yeah, able to do. Exactly. Like like he's like seen things, but he still has that immaturity to him as a person. But I think I, I just kind of know when I was watching the movie, I noticed that he was driving in stick. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And that the fact that like, it seems like he would get himself into a situation, but then not even freak out in the slightest. Like even when in that scene with Jamie Foxx, where they're at the end of the movie with the, with the bank, you know what I'm talking about? Right. So there, so Jamie Foxx plays, so there, Baby Driver also has an incredible supporting cast. Just want to show, throw that out there. And Insane. Jamie Foxx gives maybe my favorite supporting uh, performance as one of the uh, kind of regular cast of criminals who Kevin Spacey kind of orchestrates around Atlanta and he plays a character named Bats. He's kind of insane. Uh, yeah. He's the one who's most reckless, who's most likely to kill someone on a heist. Um, and he has quite a, without giving away the details, he has quite a, a gruesome end to that yeah. character. But yeah, so there, there's a very important scene when Fox meets that end. Yeah, I thought that scene was like, I'm, I'm rarely like that shocked in movies. Like usually I'm like, okay, I kind of saw this coming. But I didn't see that coming at all. I'm not going to go into detail because I obviously want people to see the movie. But you're going to be shocked because I was like, what? Like, it just did not go along with his character at all throughout the whole movie. Like, he was kind of like innocent. And that kind of that innocence is kind of something that you see in Spider-Man and this movie. Like a parallel between both is that both characters are so innocent yet in these situations that might take that away. So let's let's dive into uh, how that innocence kind of manifests itself in the movie because I think it's all over the car chases and the way that music is used. So as we said at the top, this uh, this character, the main character, Baby Driver, has tinnitus, and so he has a constant kind of hum in his ears 
And the way that he drowns that out is by listening to pop music constantly. Like his, the defining image of the movie and of this character is him with his Apple earbuds in um, behind the wheel of a car or anywhere else in life. And the way that pop music works, it's not just a, it's not just a background noise in this movie, right? It's not just yeah. a soundtrack. And that's what maybe makes musical an appropriate term for this, even though he's not necessarily singing, uh, singing songs in the way that that your average, <laughs> that your average, uh, you know, when we think of musicals, maybe La La Land is the most contemporary reference point where you have characters just bursting spontaneously into yeah. song, and those songs communicate their relationship between characters and also what's going on with the plot. Here, all of the music exists on this kid's iPod, but it also the way that it drives him in his car chases. It kind of it makes it feel it's lighter, right? It's yeah. kind of like a game. Yeah. It's something exciting. It makes it makes it feel kind of like a like GTA. Like yeah. like do you know what I mean? You ever play Grand Theft Auto? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what that's what it kind of felt like to me when he was driving. It was like, oh, this is what I do when I'm running from the police in GTA. Like I'll put on music. I'll like drive. Like I kind of it, it kind of like added to this whole teenage old man parallel that that is in the movie. Like at the same time, he's like this like sixteen year old kid, but he lives kind of like. He does things that, you, like you said earlier, are definitely not for his age group. And it's, de- it's more than just music, you know, providing like an enjoyable background <laughs> for someone to drive quickly to, right? Because, I mean, one of the wonderful quirks of this character is that he has a different iPod, not just a different playlist, but like a different iPod for different moods That's <laughs> and for, crazy. for different days of the week. Uh, and so when we know that he's in a particularly like celebratory mood, he's got his like purple rhinestone studded uh, iPod. And, and, and we know that, you know, each car chase... Um, has its own distinctive kind of rhythm and editing structure based on the music that we're hearing. Like everything always comes back to the music. And I think that's something we see in all of Edgar Wright's movies. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've seen Scott Pilgrim versus oh, the world, I love Scott um, Pilgrim but that's a 2010 movie by the same director that is uh, kind of structured around these music fight sequences between yeah. one character and evil ex-boyfriends. But it kind of felt similar to me here in that, each each car each heist has its different soundtrack, and that soundtrack isn't just a matter of background. It's like the music is what defines the entire momentum of the scene. Yeah, I um, I definitely see the parallels between. I I gotta stop saying that word. Um, I definitely see how relatable Scott Pilgrim and Baby Driver could be through the music because I feel like Scott Pilgrim's like appeal. One of the biggest appeals was that the fact that it was just so able to relate to angsty people or like the angsty part of older people. Like I feel like it was just so poppy and like a comic strip and really stayed true to the book and really was a good example of what a movie should be about like young people. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't corny and that's how I feel about baby driver. Like it wasn't like gimmicky, but it used the music well to show the angst. And yeah, definitely. I think it's, it stays true to how young people actually experience music, which is as an extension of yourself, not just something like ancillary to you. Like you are, your music and so when he is in his car like the the opening scene of this movie maybe my favorite the set to the sounds of the john spencer's blues explosions uh bell bottoms and this opening heist immediately like the first thing that we see our character do is kind of become one with the car and the music right he turns on the windshield wipers that start turning like in in line with the the drums he plays the air violin while waiting for the guys to finish up the heist like he is it's it's like a complete merger of like car physical body and music and that's i don't know that happens throughout. did you have a favorite uh, high sequence or musical see because there's Pro- probably the opening the opening one the opening one was wild because yeah. i was because i'm not a, like i am a car guy but i'm not like the biggest car guy 
and especially car chases, sometimes they get lost on me. Like sometimes I just watch Fast and Furious to hear Vin Diesel say five words a scene. Like that's that's probably the most appealing part to me. And to see a car chase that I was like, wow, this is really interesting because it really incorporated the music. It really, I think this whole movie is like a battle between his childhood antics, like listening to music and trying to get with a girl and trying to be a kid fighting with this like criminal underground that he has found himself involved in. It's but, it's definitely a, like a coming of age story of sort, like a maturation story for, yeah. for this kid. And it's difficult because music, I think, is something that connects him to his youth certainly to his parents who he has a somewhat traumatic relationship to yeah. because of how they died um but the way that music kind of moves from being something like a sole source of delight like i love how early on in the movie we hear uh you know he's talking up this waitress who he is quite attracted to and they're talking about who you know whose names are referenced in the most songs and she says that you know he wins because his name's baby and every single good song in the yeah. world you know uses the word baby at some point. And then the soundtrack kind of shifts from there on out. Like I notice that we hear songs that reference baby in almost every single scene after that conversation. Whereas before it was all about, I don't know, just the groove of, of the car, yeah. of the car chase. But then we've got like Barry White, uh, we've got uh, Sam and Dave. This is like a pretty eclectic soundtrack too. Yeah, it was like I, a lot of funk. I thought it was really interesting. I would love to have known what like, I guess it's kind of weird to like think like, oh, what would a character think? I would love to know what he thought about new music because I feel like most of the music that he had was like to an older demographic. Such a good point. That's like what you were saying earlier. This guy is kind of straddling the line between something retro, yeah. something older than his years and also his just overwhelming youth. But yeah, yeah I wonder. I wonder. I, like, that's something that I wondered myself during the movie. I was like, if he heard me pull up in my car bumping whatever music I was bumping that day, would he be the type of person to dismiss it? And say oh this is trash like a every other musical elitist or <laughs> i hate to sound like harry but um or would he like listen to it and take it as a serious art form well i think that especially early on in the movie music has quite a nostalgic function for him in that music brings him back to his mom even at the end of the movie too like music brings him yeah. back to his childhood it brings him back to like this dream sequence that we see which feels a little odd i mean we we see twice this dream sequence where his his girlfriend is waiting in this kind of classic 1950s garb with a like a long skirt billowing out. Oh, She's yeah. standing by the convertible. It seems like he like he is longing for something that is like stable, old, romantic, and not going to end in his his death. And music music brings him to those places. Yeah. I wonder if new music just wouldn't have that nostalgic appeal. Well, I think he. I don't even think he like likes music. I think he uses it. I, that's what I think. And there's, there's some people who enjoy music and there's some people who use it and that's a debate that me and my friends have a lot because my friends will say something dumb like oh i use it at parties i use it while i'm driving my car and i'm going fast like i feel like he's not i don't think he particularly loves the music because i think he more uses it for his own life like because of the humming thing i don't think that he might he might not have like a like a passion more than he needs it to survive that's such an interesting point. So there are a couple of uh, rebuttals that I have to that in, in terms of scenes in the movie that demonstrate maybe a more genuine love of well, music. One is when he's making music. Yeah, I was say, he makes music. Like when he takes, so yeah. he records conversations uh, that he's a part of. Uh, he, 
he I don't even I don't know what all the equipment is, but it certainly looks like something from 1985 as uh, opposed to a, 2017. It's like an old keyboard, old drum pad. And what's that card reader? Like he makes magnetic. Oh, uh, I I have one of magnetic those. Card. Do you really? Yeah, it's a uh, it's like because everything I own is pretty old as a child. It's like this thing, and so instead of scratching a record, he's well. They they used to put sound on a magnetic strip, yeah. And if you put this magnetic strip through this machine, like a noise would come out. I don't get how he got it. I've never seen like a personal one, but I just know I have like a really old. I have one of those things, and I know how it works. I thought that was so cool, but yeah, you're right. So that, and also, how about when whenever he's singing for Joe, his kind of his foster father, who is an older. Uh, what is he? He's deaf. Yeah, an older deaf man who's kind of reclined to a wheelchair. But when Baby sings, he sings a lot of love songs to him. Right, he sings uh, Beck's Deborah, which I thought was wonderfully used in this movie, and uh, I forget the name of the artist. But one song that goes B A B Y. There does seem when the music is playing independent of the car chases, it seems to me more than just utilitarian. It's like I'm genuinely like just yeah. losing myself in the love of this music right All now. Right. To, to elaborate on my point, it's not that I don't think he might not have a passion for music, but what I was thinking is if he hadn't gotten into that accident and he hadn't had that hum, would he be singing those songs? Would he be making that music? Is it a true unadulterated passion or is it possibly something that he uses to cover up some of the feelings that he might have from the accident and that has developed into a passion? I think it's both. I think that's a great point. I, I don't know if it's it's one uh, or the other. I think it's both because I don't think he could function without music. You're right. He would yeah. just kind of be in a corner debilitated by the hum yeah. in his ears um, and not being able to and emotionally you, you see that in one of the last scenes when, when John Hamm shoots his iPod. Yeah. He shoots his iPod and then he also um, he shoots... Uh, like the space on either side of his ears right, yeah. to give him an exacerbated tinnitus. I, I thought, all right, I, I thought it was a perfect movie up until the ending. I didn't love the ending. I so thought, let's, for listeners, we're going to get maybe a little yeah. spoiler territory. Spoiler, so if you haven't seen Baby Driver, I mean, the, yeah, just be forewarned. But what, what did the ending not do for you? It just didn't really tie anything that I had lingering in my head. Like the, the ear thing, I thought, I thought it was clever. But I, I don't I don't know like uh, I thought that was okay. But the whole prison thing, the whole him getting captured thing, the him, him finally getting his 1950s like love story. I thought that that it just didn't tie any ends that I felt needed to be tied. So the movie, so I so the first time I saw this movie twice. The first time I saw it, I thought the ending was literal. We have baby going to jail, and we have him. You know, we hear all of the testimony and support of his good character from all the people he's like helped over the course of the movie. And then at the very end, we see him leaving prison and meeting up with his girl, getting in the car or giving her a kiss. Or it, it is a happy ending. First time I thought it was literal. Second time I thought there's no way this is actually happening. This is just a fantasy. He's still like locked up in jail and he's he's imagining what it would be like to go out and embrace his girl and and listen to this music and be free of jail. But do you think he's actually leaving jail? He, yeah. he was sentenced yeah. to 25 years, right? Well, five well, on parole. Yeah, five, <laughs> yeah, five on parole. He got... Especially with those testimonies, he, and he was like the fact that he's so young. Like, I I never really thought about it like that. I just felt like I would have been so content with her just driving off into the sunset after the, he wakes up mm -hmm. after being shot in the ears. Like even the shooting in the ears thing didn't really do it for me. Uh, but I I think that again I would have been totally fine with an old '60s love song, them driving off into the sunset, and it saying the end. 
I don't think that the ending really added any closure that oh, so I needed. Together. So you didn't like the being separated by going to jail and yeah. then reunited after that. Yeah, I just yeah. I just I don't like when criminals get caught in movies. I guess um I'm kind of like a movie outlaw. I really don't And I, this is not a movie that is interested in punishing its main character, right? There are there are plenty of other like ancillary criminals who do meet bad ends, but this is not like unlike Drive, where I think Nicholas Winning Refn has quite a, uh, a mixed feeling about Ryan Gosling. Like he's not yeah. a morally pure character. I don't think Edgar Wright is looking to subject Ansel Elgort's character to like some vicious ringer. Like he doesn't have to well, atone for the whole sins. ear thing. Except, was... except for the ear thing. But I don't think that he is portrayed as, you know, he's like, he's a lovable criminal. <laughs> he's, yeah. ba- baby is not someone who's, he's causing more good than harm. I think in the context of this movie. I, I, I think that, I don't know. I just, maybe it just hurt me too much that he like, he, he lost his hearing. Because I, I thought about myself losing my hearing, and I was like, oh, word I can't say on the radio. Like, oh, God, like, <laughs> that would that would suck. Yeah. Like, and, and, and to lose your relationship to music, too. I mean, to think of how, like, foundational our, our understanding of music is to who we are. Yeah, I just, I think that the ending was just one of the more lackluster moments of the movie. Before we leave Baby Driver, I want to get your takes on some of the supporting performances. So we have Kevin Spacey, Jamie Foxx, well, John Hamm. Kevin Spacey's the GOAT, he, which, <laughs> which uh, for our older listeners stands for greatest of all time. Like he is the best, he's the best villain in ever. Like the best, like think about it. Who has a better track record of being a villain than Kevin Spacey? Here we are in full on Kevin Spacey, not like not serious villain mode, yeah. right? In that I feel like half of his lines were not too clever puns or rhymes like he refers to a character as put it the asian and home invasion or yeah <laughs> or how about he boasts uh, after drawing you know some map in chalk while talking with jamie fox and he's so ex- exuberant about it he is a he's like a lampoonable character here. yeah he's not someone who's actually dangerous i feel like jamie fox's character is the only one i was actually afraid of john ham when he lost that girl i was pretty like oh i was pretty scared of him but, but i thought about kevin spacey what I thought was kind of interesting is I could see Edgar Wright like taking some notes from The Departed and inputting it into Kevin Spacey's character and kind of into this movie. I, I like didn't click with me until the elevator scene when Kevin Spacey's going down after they finally. It's kind of like you know, in, with spoiler alert, huge spoiler alert. If you haven't seen <laughs> The Departed, please don't listen to me. Turn me off. It, when Matt Damon finally. It, like he finally gets caught and Leo finally wins and he's going down to the elevator and he gets he gets popped right there and then like like and I that is exactly what I thought about when they were going down the elevator even before it happened I was like oh god Kevin Spacey's about to get shot he's going down an elevator this is classic Scorsese right yeah no definitely the suddenness of that attack is I feel like it's just meant to propel us into the standoff between John Hamm yeah. and uh, and and Baby, and it's a good scene. I mean, that also reminded me very much of the fight sequences in um, Scott Pilgrim, in that you have like John Hamm's character and Baby's character, you know, in cars looking at one another. You feel like the you know video game go like sound or signal yeah. is about to flash, and then we have these guys duking it out in a parking garage. Um, I, something about the way that almost every other character except for Jamie Foxx was written left me a little, it was like a little too, a little too goofy for me to really lose myself into the story. I thought like, you know, I, I laughed at the lines, um, but I, I guess the, the same is true for John Hammond. I mean, he's not, he's not a silly character. Yeah. And ways. well, the first half he is, like, he's like this like guy who he didn't, he wasn't like supposed to be in this life. 
and then he turns into a monster. Yeah. And with Jamie Foxx, I thought it was super interesting because it's like, is like a goofy career criminal. Like, I, I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, it really is a lot like kind of like Scorsese. Like, you know, Scorsese kind of uses like like older music in a lot of his movies. Maybe the, he was kind of like using those influences in Baby Driver and the whole elevator scene and a couple of the fight scenes kind of reminded me of that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And there's something to, there's some like you can see some of the supporting cast of Goodfellas making their way yeah. into the interpretation of like John Hamm's yeah. character or Jamie Foxx's character. And it's just they're they're relentless, just like unending uh, just lust for yeah. action, cocaine, and violence. Yeah, ja- like Jamie Foxx's character is just like terrifying. Like I thought he was gonna pop the girl right in the diner because right. he's so unpredictable. Yeah, and but when he when he got killed, that was crazy. Like I didn't like not at all. I didn't like that wasn't a possibility. I thought in my head because I was like, all right, they're paying this guy so much money. There's no way they're gonna like like contract wise. Like, there's no way they're just gonna like like shove a pole through his heart and they shove the pole through his heart. Yeah. Now that that was that was surprising. I mean, he, Jamie Foxx does get a lot of screen time. It's not like he's in for a scene yeah, and then bumped off. He's but, almost like a main character. But like, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't make it all the way to the end. Um, uh, also, I hated how they gave us his name, Baby. That that made me so mad. I was like, why, why build up this whole movie running with the theme that his name's Baby and then give him a new name? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean the. Right, so we we do get all all of the characters have code names that they yeah. use, you know, in the context of heists. Um, it didn't bother me too much. I mean, I feel like the by the end it was like the sober like the sobering facing of reality at the end. Like yeah. he's in jail. He's not just this like youthful life loving criminal. He he has a name and he has to like face the consequences of his actions and stuff. But I hear you. Didn't do didn't work for you. Yeah. I I don't even remember his name. Miles. Miles. Oh right, pretty clever. Um. Okay, so Baby Driver, I think, gets two recommendations from both of us. Yeah. I think what, both really what do you it. give it one to ten? Uh, I would say I'm going to go for a like a high seven or a low eight. I'd say like eight and a half, nine. Yeah. But I mean, I, it was, but also we should say like this is a, this is like a summer action movie, right? Like it's super entertaining. Yeah. It's not going to like subject you to two hours of gloom, doom, and just like self-reflection. Like super. you are going in here to have a great time, but also- Really well made. Super interesting movie. Yeah. Um, all right. Spider-Man. Well, actually, let me do a quick... Uh, you're listening to Deep Focus on WNHHLP, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and I'm breaking down two new uh, summer action movie releases that have been both like well-received by audiences and critics, which is always uh, a good thing to, to see. I'm breaking those movies down with uh, WNHH intern Sam Hadleman. We just spoke a little bit about Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, and now let's share some thoughts on... Uh, on oh, what's his name john watts's spider-man homecoming so sam why on earth should anyone uh spend the time and the money on the third spider-man reboot in the middle of the marvel cinematic universe's um, like 20 decade long takeover of summer movies well let me let me start it off by saying that this was a really 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 good movie like i i feel th- i thought like you just described i was like okay why am I giving the movie theater this much more money to see the same story? If I see Uncle Ben get shot one more time, I'm going to lose it. But we didn't. They didn't, didn't. do it all. I was it was like, so great. I was so happy that I didn't have to see Peter cry over Uncle Ben again. Like, I get it. You're like, I get it. He got shot. Okay. I've seen Spider-Man 2. 
Like, who are you making this movie for? Twelve year olds? They, they, they've never. All right, never mind. Right, that's that is my grievances with the Amazing Spider Man. But this movie, it was like it was classic. It was like a like I read an article that said it was like a John Hughes movie, and it really was like a John Hughes movie. Like they make this character so likable that you have to root for him. And he, and it's like a blue collar superhero. So this is a a movie about teenagers. Right. This yeah. is, a, is the rare kind of comic movie, comic book movie that is both for teenagers and about teenagers and like starring. I, I don't know if Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man, is actually in his he's, teens. He's but 21. It's, so he's he's like close enough that he can plausibly play a, well, I think he plays a 15 year old here. But yeah, yeah we follow a, a high school student in Queens who already has the superpowers. Right. This isn't an origin story. Uh, yeah. As we Thank are usually God. familiar with, right? Thank um, God. This is about him just kind of like bursting out of his skin with excitement about maybe being a superhero. Like he is so jazzed about being, you know, impressing the Tony Starks of the world. It almost like it doesn't really matter what is what is happening to his body and like what changes yeah. are taking place there. It's just all about like, oh my God, this is the most exciting thing that's ever yeah. happened to me. I feel like it would have been the exact same reaction if like a 15 year old me got to like hang out with Tom Brady, like something like that. Like I'd just be so freaked out that I'm meeting Tom Brady. And if you could throw a football like comparably to Tom Brady, yeah, because that's like part of the, like, what makes him so giddy in Except, this movie is that he thinks he's on the same level as all these other Well, he wants to be. Like you, you could see, I thought it was so interesting when he kept texting uh, John Fairview's, uh, I, I hope I'm saying that name right. I think it's Favreau. But... Favreau's character, like giving him updates every day, every day. And then... When he stops doing that, that's when they start freaking out and they're like, I don't know. I thought it worked on so many different levels. I think I'm just going to start off with a pretty bold claim. It's almost or better than Spider-Man 2, which is the best Spider-Man. You can fight me in real life if you disagree. But Spider-Man 2, fantastic film. And it kind of reminded me of that. It, I have to admit, I, I either haven't seen Spider-Man 2 or I just don't remember it. The, the, I saw doc, long ago. the one with Doc Ock? Oh, yes. I have to, yeah. No, I, I remember liking that one a lot. But this one, I mean, this feels uh, very different in both like tone uh, and tenor than any other, you know, m- superhero movie in recent memory. Maybe I was as surprised by something like Deadpool that like completely throws out any like self-respect and dignity that superheroes are supposed to have to have this like super crass yeah. uh, and, and vulgar character at the center of it. Not that Spider-Man is, is actually quite a chaste movie. I mean, this is about a teenager who's like, even his, his romantic interests are kind of prepubescent. Like there's yeah. no, there's no sexual longing. There's no even like Tobey Maguire kissing, you know, Kirsten yeah, Dunn's upside down. There's nothing. There's no, that type of sexual contact. This, the, the closest romantic relationship, if anything, is between Tom Holland and his best friend played by Ned. Yeah. I think, uh, I think he's in love with, with Tom. Which is such a wonderful relationship, but it's a, it's like a true teenage relationship, right? Like these guys are so excited. Just about, about everything. Everything, yeah. And I thought, it, what I also thought was really interesting is that they, I think they kind of did the villain right. Like rather than have this buildup of a character who try to make scary and just isn't scary, like I, I'm trying to, like the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy with the weird eye paint, not like the big guy in the, the face in the sky. You know what I'm talking about? The guy, yeah. Like, rather than build up this character who is supposed to be intimidating but really isn't, I think that they made a more interesting character in Michael Keaton. Like, I, like someone who you just have such a range of emotions feeling towards the entire movie. I mean, this is a, a classic, um, like, problem with 
almost every single Marvel movie going back, you know, the past decade or so since since uh, yeah. the real resurgence of comic book movies with Iron Man in that you can just like rattle off all of the Avengers from, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, um, you know, the Thor, like all of these characters jump out, the protagonists jump out, but try to remember who the supervillains are. It's it's tough. It's hard. It's tough to remember I because thought, they don't make much of an impression. Yeah, I thought you know? Loki sucked. And right, so because often, and the same I thought was true in the most recent Wonder Woman movie, which is not Marvel or DC, but it's, you know, for the lay watchers, it's like, it's similar enough. It's a comic book based um, movie franchise. But here, when you have a superhero who embodies like absolute evil and, and is intent on like world domination and destruction, and then our hero destroys that character, it renders the, you know, their absolute threat kind of silly and meaningless because yeah. if someone says like i'm going to destroy everything and then they're destroyed it's like all right the stakes were pushed way too high and how like what what can't our hero do yeah here we have like a blue collar superhero fighting a blue collar supervillain. yeah it's like <laughs> it's like a weird capitalist like statement and i thought that was so weird that i'm like wow i'm thinking so did that work deeply. for you i'm really curious to hear how so michael keaton's character is he's this working class he's like a um, manufacturer, I don't know, he cobbles together all these scrap parts that I believe reference some previous Avengers yeah. movie, but I wasn't too sure. Yeah. But he's creating weapons and he's selling them on the black market and he is constantly kind of jabbing fingers in the eyes of, you know, the 1% capitalist America that yeah. refuses to promote him to the position he feels I, worthy of. I thought it was like really interesting because the whole movie, I'm like, wait, who's the bad guy? Like, he really, like, I think that it, this is kind of like what happens in Spider-Man 2, if you remember with Doc Ock, Doc Ock like isn't a bad guy. He just gets taken over by his arms. Like this guy isn't a bad guy per se. He's just someone who's trying to survive in the 21st century where in this world where there's superheroes and stuff, someone has to be taking advantage of the technology that's available. And there's no real platform for him. There's not like a alien tech eBay where you can just buy and sell stuff. He's someone who's just taking advantage of what he was given. He like, Tony Stark stole his entire business from him. He legally was doing something right. And then Tony Stark, like Tony Stark is kind of a bad guy, honestly, in the Marvel universe. And that was one of the, I mean, maybe this movie is also comparable to Iron Man, the first one back in 2007 or 2008, in that, you know, Tony Stark is a very self-aware superhero. He's someone like who's very excited about being Iron Man. Think about the the final scene of Iron Man when he tells the press conference that, I am Iron Man. <laughs> like, yeah. like there's there's a a like enthusiasm and giddiness to that character that I think transfers over to to Spider Man. But for Michael Keaton's villain, talk about a sympathetic motivation. This guy just wants to like make enough money to support his family. <laughs> yeah, like he's like the he's like the anti. He's like if if he's a villain, then Tony Stark's a villain because if you think about it, he makes such a good point. He's like, okay, if I'm such a bad guy, then your boy Tony Stark's a bad guy because he was giving literal nuclear bombs to terrorist organizations. Like, that's crazy to me that people are like, oh, Iron Man's so cool. If you're going to say that this guy's bad, then your boy Iron Man's bad. Now, that said, Michael Keaton's character does have a pretty swanky house in the suburbs. Yeah. He's <laughs> and like, he's making some pretty serious bank oh my God. off he, of this, uh, with these weapon sales. Spoiler alert, the whole thing with him and his daughter, I didn't see that coming <laughs> oh, either. That's so good. Um, so... Okay, I, I want to, um, I mean, I feel like this movie really, um, really embraces its taking place in Queens, right? Like yeah. it's in an outer borough. It's in an incredibly diverse multi-ethnic, you know, borough. Like Queens is supposed to be, you know, one that has like the highest concentration of cultural and racial diversity of like anywhere in America, if not the world. 
Uh, and other we, than New Haven. Other, other than New Haven. But we see that in the characters. I mean, we have characters representing like yeah. every single possible like shade mm. and color and background and language. Yeah. Um, but we we also get like I love when Spider-Man is displaced to the suburbs and all of a sudden he doesn't have anything to swing from. Right. He's like looking for buildings to shoot his little spidey webs to so that he can like quickly get places. But instead, what does he have to do? He has right, to sprint along a golf course. <laughs> golf course. <laughs> I thought it was like I, I've never used this word in context and I'm not promoting this word, but it was like way more woke than I thought it'd be. Like when Zendaya was like, I'm not going in something that was made by slaves. And then they were like. Well, this wasn't made by slaves. And the, the, and the, the security, security guard's guard. like, yeah, it was. So this is probably one of the bigger laugh lines in the movie. They take a trip to Washington, D.C. I don't really remember why. Some academic uh, decathlon. Uh, academic sort of decathlon. decathlon. And, and the group is going on a tour up the Washington Monument. And we have a character, you know, abstaining from participating in that tour because she doesn't want to support yeah. anything built by slaves. Um, yeah, I think woke is definitely an appropriate term here. I was going to say class conscious, but I th- kind of feel like they mean the same yeah, thing I, in this context. I, but I hate the word woke. Like I hate, really? I hate when people self-describe themselves or anyone who's not a minority as woke. Because I'm just like, God, just, you are so out of touch. But I don't know. Just showing your age, man. I feel like you're, I feel like that term is one that is that is used so comfortably by young people today. Yeah, I hate it. I absolutely, <laughs> I, I despise. It's not the used word. in this movie, to the best of my Bang, recollection. Yeah, I know. Trust me. But it was like because she's so young, and like the context of what she was saying, it just sounded like something an angsty woke person would say on my Twitter. Like that's what I felt like, and I hate. I just I hate the fact that I just use that word, but I I have to. So. You are wearing a shirt right now with the face of Donald Glover. Uh, yes, sir. A, a quite accomplished uh, actor and comedian who has a small supporting role in this movie and also quite infamously was not cast as Spider-Man. Yeah. In the, was that in the 2012 series that um, Andrew Garfield wound up? Both of them. Both? The, the, very famously, Donald Glover said uh, Donald Glover for Spider-Man and the internet took off. Um, and... The big, re- I think the, who knows if this was the actual calculus that like whoever, whatever producers who were deciding about casting made, but Donald Glover's black. Um, there was enough pushback on Spider-Man being black that this, that. But there he, is a black Spider. There is an extension of the Spider-Man universe where there is someone who is in a, is in an area and is black and is Spider-Man. And I think that if Marvel doesn't jump on that or is it is it Marvel now? Because Sony had the rights. Is it, it's Marvel. I mean, right? this is definitely part of the Marvel universe. Yeah, with yeah its I, incorporation I just, of. I just the... want to make sure I'm getting the I mean, legality. <laughs> well, that's well, that's why it happened. Is because they had Sony, and then Sony screwed it up so bad that they decided to give it back to Marvel. But I would love to see Donald Glover play a superhero role because what can't God, Donald Glover do? That man is a I, bold statement. He's the most talented person in entertainment history. <laughs> that is. Look, that think, is a bullshit. But, uh, but I can I can back it up though. Tell, give give me a in okay. thirty seconds writer, or maybe a minute. Writer, producer, actor, rapper. Like he wrote comedian. For, yeah, comedian mm-hmm. wrote for Thirty Rock. Produced his own movie like six years ago. Was making rap music that I was downloading on my iPod Classic seven years ago. Like this man has been all over. Can do absolutely anything. No, everyone else in history kind of stays in their own lane and get. And Donald Glover does not care about a lane. He's driving on the highway. That's you know, it's to to go back to our baby driver <laughs> discussion. Yeah. He's he's someone full throttle, driving yeah. stick, I, uh, I, and the I, Atlanta suburbs. I just can't think of someone else who has done that many things and has not only done that many things because God knows everyone tries to get into a different lane and like tries to like 
everyone tries to act everyone tries to do all this stuff like donald glover is critically acclaimed in everything he's ever touched yeah i mean i think what the type of uh of kind of all-around star and talent that you're describing harkens back to like the era of charlie chaplin who directed his movies acted in his movies wrote his movies composed the scores for his movies uh was the producer of his, like you know there there are very few people in the history of cinema who can kind of do everything and, and glover yeah. seems to be one of those guys but i love let's talk for a second about his role in this movie because yeah. for a movie that is just overflowing with giddy enthusiasm donald Glover plays the most subdued character in like yeah. the entire two and he's a half a, hour he's, so he's, he's, like... he's just a guy who's trying to buy a gun to hold <laughs> someone up yeah and it, buy some ice cream for his family it's so what'd you normal. think what'd you think of his performance in this movie it was so normal like Donald Glover was this. It was like sometimes I think to myself, like in superhero movies, like God, what is like a normal person? What would that look like in this? And he literally was just a normal criminal. He's mm. like, "Yo, bro, I'm just trying to buy a gun. I just want to. I just, I just need a gun." And he's like, "And these people are shooting off. Like, what an oversell by these salesmen." I think that's a huge issue in the movie. Is that these like Michael Keaton's trying to have this like low key business? He's like, "Guys, don't shoot the guns." The big the alien powered guns. Like, like, how can the police not see a huge ray of like blue light? Like, I just thought it was really cool to see Donald Glover portray such a normal criminal, but have a conscience to the point where he helps Tom Holland in his pursuit of justice. And I think it's an also an inherent commentary upon the superhero genre itself. When you have someone who's so indifferent to all of like the big bangs of of like yeah. alien powered guns, he's just like. Come on, man. After a while, this is just kind of exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to live my life and figure out which is the best sandwich in Queens and yeah. hopefully get home in time before my ice cream melts in the trunk of my car. I, I just, oh, that was so funny when he stuck him to the car for two hours. <laughs> and he's like, you're a criminal. Sorry, I have to do this. Like, that was so funny. I think that I really hope that they develop on the Spider-Man character more. And I, th I don't, I don't see Spider-Man like sticking with Iron Man. I don't see that happening for a while. Like I think, once, and there is a separation of those two characters at the end of the movie. Too, I thought right? that was he so cool. Kind of renounces like Spider Man was like, "I'm gonna stay blue collar. I don't need you. I'm gonna stay independent. I'm gonna finish high school." Yeah, like that was so cool. Um, before we end our conversation about this, I want I we've got to talk a little about the action set pieces because this is a superhero movie, and yeah. there are some yeah. like big explosive moments. One is scaling up the Washington Monument. Yeah. Uh, the other is uh, trying to hold together the Staten Island Ferry uh, as it's like splitting at the seams. I feel like in that one in particular, that was a like a callback to the Roosevelt Island. Uh, what, what is that tram or the tr in, in one of the first Spider-Man movies when oh. he's trying to hold up that cable car that is yep. like dangling over the uh, the East River. Yeah. Um, and I appreciated that kind of New York City reference, but. What what do you think of the big action moments of this movie? Um, Did they I, live up to like the funny blue collar, it's kind of horsing around moments? Yeah, my only issue would have been the fact that I think Iron Man kind of saves him a little too much. Like, it's like once, fine, twice. Hmm, I don't know. I I don't know. I I would have loved to see Spider Man maybe handle a situation more on his own because we live in the generation of superheroes getting their word I can't say on the radio kicked, like their butts kicked, like they. Like Spy like Superman, Man of Steel, side note, terrible superhero movie, made me contemplate everything. Horrible. Right. But he gets his butt kicked in that movie. Like Spider Man gets his butt kicked in the amazing Spider Man and in this movie. He gets like beat up a lot. 
you know, I was thinking as I was watching Spider-Man Homecoming, not only is the like tone and giddiness and youthfulness of this movie, does it distinguish it from other superhero movies? But I was trying to think about how many how many characters actually die in this Spider-Man movie. I feel like you could count them on one hand. Well, you know, usually like with the, even the Avengers, even the the more like the well-made respect, not just like the Mans of Steel's, like not those of the world, but even like the reputable Marvel movies, you have like whole cities that are absolutely flattened and like thousands of unnamed, you know, victims who are casualties. Here, I don't even know if like, the, does the supervillain even die at no, the end? No, he goes I to prison. Think he just goes and... to prison. That I love that about this movie. Like well, yeah. not needless death. It's just like, a fight between two characters who are trying to stick to the man. What I what I really liked about this movie and what drew me was the title, Homecoming. I really liked how it kind of felt like an episode, like a cartoon version of Spider-Man. Rather than trying to reinvent the wheel like the, the amazing Spider-Man did, I think that they kind of stuck to this formula of someone who, like me, who is really a big fan of like the 90s cartoon Spider-Man series. Like the fact that it wasn't called like something huge and large it was something very like homely something like very relatable something Home- high schooly right it's yeah a homecoming, homecoming dance. and god i hated homecoming but it's cool to like see it in the realm of a superhero like i think just the title itself and how it kind of revolved around something so juvenile and so relatable as homecoming really made brought that to a different level for me and you know i'm so heartened that these movies are getting you know people are going out to see them and enjoying them and they're getting you know written up well by critics because I feel like these are the you know rare summer action blockbusters that are so deserving of both critical and popular acclaim. Yeah, because they're well made. They're for teenagers. They're about teenagers, and you know they're doing something a little bit different, which I always appreciate. But, but the same in a good sense. But I don't think he was the best Spider-Man. I could. I think. I think it goes Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland, anything else, Andrew Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I mean, Tobey Maguire really originates that role like i don't know there may there probably wasn't a spider-man movie before no that's sam yeah. raimi one but yeah Tommy mcguire his performance is really sonat and but i'm trying to because i haven't seen that movie since it came out so do you remember like in terms of the performance itself and the character what's what are the key differences between how toby mcguire you know brings a spider-man and how tom holland here well tom Hol- tom holland's like blue collar smooth now i keep using this word but like like your normal guy smooth with like girls he kind of talks to like like Tobey Maguire just sucks at stuff. Like right, he's mopey, right? Yeah, he's, he's like mopey. <laughs> he's like so painfully awkward that I don't even have the time to laugh. With Tom Holland, I found it like so like awkward that it was funny, but I don't think that was Tobey Maguire's goal. Like it wasn't like he wasn't a character put there to make you laugh. It was like to show you like what it looks like to be in your late twenties, to not be financially where you want to be to not be career-wise where you want to be. Oh, yeah, and on the side, you have to save the entire city. And you know what? You're, you're right, because that juxtaposition and like the tension between being a well-loved superhero and the sad sack Tobey Maguire, Peter Parker, is like, it's pretty sharp. Like, yeah. you, you can't imagine Tobey Maguire's character being much of like an object of desire outside of Spider-Man costume. Here, Tom Holland is like, the girl wants to get with Tom Holland, even though she doesn't even know that he's Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's someone who who has all of these like interesting, engaging, like fun characteristics. Yeah. And then he's Spider-Man too. I thought it was really cool. They didn't like put a lot of stress on the girl character. I thought, except for the whole, her dad being Michael Keaton thing, that was cool. But it kind of reminded me of like whiplash. If you remember how they kind of portray like the female character in that, like it, it doesn't like hinder his, like the move, not hinder, but it, it's not a focal point of the movie. And I think 
that that, that might have been a fault of the Amazing Spider-Man. Maybe putting too much emphasis on Emma Stone. While in this movie, Zendaya is more of the main character, and they don't even have a romantic relationship. And then you realize that she's MJ. So I wonder if they're going to, like, maybe incorporate that. Maybe, like... I, I don't know. I, I would love to see how that's going to go. The romance is definitely a secondary storyline in this amazing, in this uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. And like, like a third storyline. Thir- yeah. yeah, like the, the half one, like his high school life is like the second story. And then the third one would be his lust over this girl. So it sounds like two recommendations for Spider-Man Homecoming too. What one out of 10, what would you give? Nine, nine and a half. Just wow. a little inch above wow. Baby Driver. That- and so, so are you saying it doesn't get much better than Spider-Man Home? Like nine and eight, there's not much room to improve on nine and a half. Um, well, like nine, nine and a half. Let's not. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, nine and a half, ten would be not a lot of room to improve. And I'm, what would you give the first Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire, Sam? Like Ramey the first one? one, yeah, probably the same. But I would inch. But Spider-Man Two is the one where I think. Okay. No, no, Spider-Man One, huh. eight and a half, nine. Spider-Man Two, nine, nine and a half. Spider-Man Three, I'm never watching again. Why would he make Topher Grace Venom? <laughs> God, what a terrible decision. Wow, you've been seeing some movies you've loved recently. I love it. I know. Baby Driver. The, uh, uh, the Big Sick. The Big Sick, which I don't think we'll have time to talk about today, but another episode I'd love to chat yeah, about. Yeah, I would the Big love Sick. to talk about The Big Sick. Very yeah. different movie than these summer action blockbusters. But uh, but yeah, these are some, this um, is a good summer like, thus far. I've been like getting good albums. I've been getting good movies. I've been sleeping more than six hours. It's been It's been cool. Well, Sam, what a delight to have you on the show. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, what, like, when is your show on? Uh, during my, the, my show is on Wednesdays at 2 o'clock. Uh, next week, I will be reviewing the Vince Staples record. Um, I'll be reviewing the Haim record, the all-female rock band, and possibly whatever else comes out. Love oh, it. and the Tyler, the Creator album. I'll be plugging that. Excellent. So. And that's, that's on WNHH 103.5, New Haven's Home for Community Radio. Check it out. Um, Sam, thank you for coming on the show and uh, we'll talk with you another time. Cool. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. You can find a complete archive of Deep Focus episodes at deepfocusradio.com. Coming up next, some more WNHH Community Radio.